Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. As we continue through the Old Testament, we come to the story of of David and uh, really there are so many points in this story in first and second Samuel I, I could spend six months just going through first and second Samuel but before I get started I just wanted to uh, tell everyone to announce that after 21 months of being displaced out of our home we're moving in at the end of the month <laughs> it was really a surreal um, thing when this past week, the final inspection was re- approved, and we got our occupancy permit all in the same week, and it was just like, this really is going to happen. <laughs> but um, let me continue um, on here, and I just wanted to let everyone know that part of it. But uh, we're going to continue. And, you know, I just want to share this with you. Years ago, when I was reading, uh, as I was going through the Bible, uh, starting from in the beginning and until the very end. And when I came to this part where, uh, as we learned um, the last several weeks, where uh, Saul was chosen as, as to be king, and, and basically was God was telling Samuel, give them what they want. Maybe they'll learn something from it. And, uh, and the people did, but uh, as we see a continuation of of, of, of sin and rebellion and crying out to the Lord, please save us, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. You know, and it's just a cycle, and we got this going on since Adam and Eve, and we got it going on today. And um, when I came to this part, it, it said, uh, as God was speaking to Samuel, I will choose, I have rejected Saul, and I will choose a man after my own heart. My heart just jumped and leaped, and it was like, who is this guy? Who is this guy? I've never come across this before. We, you know, we look back at Noah and we see uh, Noah found favor in the sight of God. And we look at Abraham, a friend of God. And, and you know, Isaac and Jacob, and as the story continues and moves through, and Moses and so forth like that. But I've never come across a man after God's own heart. Do you know that referencing the heart, and it's not the organ that pumps blood through our bodies, it's who we are. It's our conscience. It's our soul. It's what we think. It's what we do. It's who we are here and out in the world. It's who we are. Our heart. What, who is this guy? A man after God's own heart. I've never seen that before. I want to know what it's all about. So I read First and Second Samuel over and over and over and over and over until I got to a point where it was like, I see that, but I also see some other things too. He wasn't perfect. So let's continue in this, and uh, we'll look at First um, Samuel 16. <laughs> if 
But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought him for himself, a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And we saw this. This is talking about Saul, and this is a conversation between Samuel and Saul. And now starts several things in Saul's heart. Jealousy. Hatred to the point where Saul becomes enraged. But before we get into the story, <clears throat> there's some things in the New Testament that I would like to share with y'all about the heart. Okay. In Luke 6, verse 45, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure in his heart brings forth evil, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. And from Proverbs 23, 7. For as he, that is the man, thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. And we see over and over certain people where it says about them, and they followed the Lord, their God, wholeheartedly. And we see, well, they followed the Lord when it was convenient, or they followed the Lord sometimes. From Jeremiah 17, verse 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know, we hear in today's uh, culture, follow your heart. <laughs> right? <laughs> Follow your heart. Well, isn't that dependent upon what you think in your heart? Right. But I say to you in Matthew 5, 28, the I is Jesus, that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Wow. Hmm. James pens down. Then when, when desire has conceived, that's mean, when we think about something over and over and over, not just a glance, but when we think about something and store it up, the Bible talks about storing it up in our heart. And we dwell on it. When desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, right? We think about something evil long enough, sometimes we act on it. And then when we sin, and when it becomes full grown, it brings forth death. More good news. So, 
what do we do about it? And Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks about renewing our mind. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And we know what a sacrifice was in the Old Testament, right? We went through that. They would sacrifice all kind of animals, lambs, oxen. If you didn't have the money for those, turtle doves, grain, they're all kind of offerings, okay? So what is Paul talking about, a living sacrifice? Obedience, in a word. Holy and acceptable to God. And we learn from Saul, he did some things that were unacceptable. For it's written, obedience is better than sacrifice. This is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world. We see that all around us, don't we? We see that in our churches, which is sad conforming to pressure from the world. We see that in our schools. We were talking about that earlier. Conforming to the world. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. So Jesus gives you gives us an answer. And this is the story in John chapter 3 where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus who is one of the lead Pharisees. And Jesus tells Nicodemus, "Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God." Okay, so how, do, how are we born again? First John 1 John 1.9 says that what if we, we confess our sins, he, that is God, is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we'll see this in the story of David. And that's the key here. David, although he sinned over and over again, each time he confessed, I have sinned. Now, that doesn't mean he walked away from the consequences. As we will see as we move through. <clears throat> In chapter 16, and I'll read this. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing that I have rejected him from re reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, and I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, Well, how can, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he's going to kill me. Well, right off the bat, he understood Saul's anger. And we'll see that also in this story. So then Jesse, <coughs> then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and tell him, I've come to sacrifice. 
and I will show you what to do, and you shall anoint for me the one I name to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem, and the elders of the town trembled at his coming. And I, I look at, I, I read this, and I say, why did they tremble at his coming? One, they evidently knew his power. It wasn't his power, it was God's power through him. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came, and he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. They're looking at the outside. Eliab's the oldest. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or had his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see a man as a man sees. For a man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know, that's, this is a verse that we should tuck inside of us and, and memorize and just, as the Bible says, chew on it. Eat the words. Be that in your heart. So when you speak, as the scripture says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And that's what we all need to do. We need to look at the heart, the intent, what they do, more so than someone's appearance. And don't we do that in today's society? We look at their appearance and judge them right off the bat. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. Nope, that's not the one. Goes down the line. Nope, that's not the one. Jesse had eight sons. Is there anyone left? Yeah, there's the younger one. He's taking care of the sheep. So Samuel says to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. He was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, Arise and anoint him, for he is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. You know, as I, as I read this, and, and, and let's be practical about this, okay? The scripture says he anointed him in front of his whole family. What do you think they were thinking? Huh? Are you kidding me? David? But as we continue, it says, The Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And this verse right here is just a continuation all the way to Saul's death. Pretty sad. So when Saul would have this distressing spirit come upon him, he thought, well, how is this going to go away? Someone came up to Saul and said, hey, I know this boy that plays the harp a liar. Bring him in. He's a Bethlehemite. 
who is skillful at playing a mighty man of valor and a, <coughs> and a man of war, prudent in speech and handsome. There it is again. Handsome. <laughs> and the Lord is with him. Key. Therefore, Saul sent messengers and said, send him to me. So David come to Saul and stood before him. And think about this. And the scripture says that he loved him greatly and became his armor bearer. Saul's going to go back and forth. I loved him. I hated him. I loved him. I hated him. So, here we come to probably one of the most famous stories in the, New, or the Old Testament. Believers and unbelievers are familiar with David and Goliath, right? Now the Philistines gathered their armies together in battle and prepared at Succoth, which belongs to Judah. And they camped between Succoth and Ezekiah or something. <laughs> something like that. So we got the Philistines on one hill and the Israelite army on the other hill and a valley in between them. And sometimes if you've seen uh, a, a video or something like that, it shows a few hundred people. There were thousands. Okay, and they got this great army. Now, the Bible talks about a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath. He was from Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span, translated into nine foot six inches tall. Okay, that's a basketball hoop. So, you know, when you picture someone that big, they probably weighed five, six hundred pounds maybe, something like that. Or he was a bean pole. <laughs> I don't think so either. I just don't think so. He had a, and then the Bible describes, you know, his armor. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, translated into about 100 pounds. So he had to be pretty big to support that much armor. And it talks about <coughs> his javelin. And the spear was like a weaver's beam. And the iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and a shield-bearing bearer went before him. And he stood and he cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up against me for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. And if he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said... I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. So when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Huh. Now David was the son of that Ephronite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, who had eight sons. And the man was old and advanced in years in the days of Saul. So the three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul into battle. The names of these three sons were Eliab, Eliab, the firstborn, Abinadab, and the third, Shammai. 
And David was the youngest of the three oldest, followed by Saul. So David, on occasion, would go to the battle because this has been going on for 40 days. And each day, Goliath would come out and blaspheme God and curse Israel by his gods. So all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will give great riches to and offer his daughter in marriage. Oh, exemption from taxes also. Wonderful. Then David spoke to the man, to the men who stood by him saying, what shall be done for this man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? So it's reiterated to David what Saul has offered. <clears throat> and Eliab, his, and you know, this is interesting. Eliab, the oldest, rebukes David and said, why have you come down to the battle to see the battle? And, and I, I, I really don't, get this um, it says why have you left those few sheep in the wilderness I know the pride and insolence of your heart for you have come down to see the battle and I think well yeah and David said what have I done now is there not a cause and then he turned toward him and toward another and said the same thing and the people answered him as the first ones did now when the words of David Spoke, were spoken here, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. You know, and you, you think about this practically, okay? That might be a good representation, you know? Average height, from what I understand, of the people uh, of that day was about five feet. Okay. Um, hmm. Saul had to think this was pretty funny, right? Practically speaking? Are you kidding me? And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine and fight with him, for you are a youth, and this is a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it and delivered from the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. You know, I, I thought about this and I thought, you know, even if it's just a uh, mountain lion and, and not a bear from Africa, of course, you know, how close were they to Africa? Pretty close. And I thought, even if it's a small lion, that's pretty good. I would not want to tangle with a mountain lion or a cougar or whatever you want to call it. They're, if you've seen them, um, they're decent size. I wouldn't even want to tangle with a dog, let alone a lion. How about a bear? Even if it was a small bear, I would not want to tangle with one. So we, we can see a supernatural power here at work, right? I would think so. And <clears throat> so as we continue... Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. 
And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. You can see, right? It's like, yeah. So Saul clothed David with his armor. David put it on. I can't do this. Okay, you think about how Saul was described. A head taller than everybody else. Okay, first of all, it didn't fit. Second of all, David says, I'm not used to this. You know, I got out there. Maybe I'm going to trip or fall or whatever. And, you know, they, no. He took them off. And he chose for, in his hand, he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had. And his sling was on his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. So it's not a sling like that. Yes, exactly. Had a small pouch. And from what I understand of the um, theologians who've studied these things, and um, I, I thought about Jeff whenever I, I thought about this because they said it was about nearly the size of a baseball. So it was a pretty big stone. Now, if you can picture a river rock that big, and how, how, how fast, how fast you think we can do that? Pitchers pitch, what, 90, 100, some 110 miles an hour. So if David really had this going, that stone was flying, right? And, and what I like is it, the Bible talks about that David just didn't keep his distance and wing it. He ran toward the Philistine. Okay, we see here David's heart. The Philistine, think back, the Philistine is blaspheming the armies of God. Okay, this made David angry, a righteous anger. When we see, when we read this, I think about the righteous anger Jesus had in the temple. When the scripture says that when he saw the money changers and he saw what they were doing in God's house, how they were blaspheming the worship of God, the scripture says that Jesus made a cord and a whip and drove out the money changers and overturned the tables. So that wasn't just a, I can see it, just a, hey, you guys need to get out of here. No, I don't see that happening. So the Philistine, that is, Goliath said, am I a dog that you come up with me as sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come at me with sword and spear and with javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, and all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Pretty bold for a young teenager to come against a man seasoned of war. And there, you know, there are, 
there's a distinct difference between soldiers and warriors. It's in here. Okay? Distinct difference. I look at Steve. We know that from being in the Army, right? There are soldiers and warriors, right? Two different groups of people, right? Yeah. I was not a warrior. <laughs> My heart wasn't in it. <laughs> I was just there for the fun and games. <laughs> but David was a warrior. Then all the assemblies shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, and David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine, then David put in his hand and in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. So the stone sank into his forehead and fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the, sand, in the hand of David. Therefore David ran over, stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out in his sheath and killed him and cut off his head. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran and Israel went after them, plundered them, just like David said killed the Philistines, wiped them out in that battle. But as we move forward, we will see there are many more battles with the Philistines and those enemies of Israel. As we continue in verse or chapter 18, again, Saul resents David. Okay, especially after a battle and David came back, it says that there was singing and dancing to meet Saul with tambourines and musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. Do you think that made Saul even more resentful to David? And the scripture says, what can he have more except the kingdom? Okay. Now, Saul was already told he was rejected. But David has not taken the throne yet. Fifteen years went by from when David was anointed to when he took kingship. You think about the times in Scripture. Joseph, thereabouts 13 years in a prison. Right? Our timing is not God's timing. I look at these stories and I think life is like basic training. For what? Later. So we learn. Right? We're always being tested. And we hate it. If we're honest, right? Who likes a test? 
Who looks forward to a test? Nobody. But we're always being tested. Why? Why are we being tested? Abraham was tested. Right? Not that God doesn't know what's in our hearts. It's that we need to know what's in our hearts. <laughs> right? Going back to the heart. It's the heart of the matter. Right? You know, I, when I looked this up, there are over 600, between six and 700 times the heart is mentioned just in the Old Testament. Depends on what translation you have. That's a lot, right? That's a lot. So it says, so Saul eyed David from that day forward. Yeah. So as we march through, it says, chapter 18, verse 12, Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and had departed from Saul. And we, could, we see that. Over and over and over. So in, in <clears throat> as we continue, Saul says, hmm, how can I destroy David? I know. I'll give my daughter to him in marriage, and he'll be a snare. It'll be, she'll be a snare to him. So he's thinking about all these ways he can get rid of David. That didn't work. So as we march through, he says, hmm, I know what. I'll put David in charge of a division of my army. Maybe when he goes out to war, he'll get killed. That didn't happen. David grew stronger and stronger. Hmm. And over and over and over, Saul, again, Saul, 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 that's what it says. Saul, Saul, and knew that the Lord was with David. And Saul was still more afraid of David. So Saul became David's enemy continually. But there was one of Saul's sons named David or Jonathan okay now understand the kingship would take command by usually the oldest son he was lined for the kingship and this was Jonathan but Jonathan understood through time through acts that his dad wanted to kill David but the scripture says Jonathan loved David, and David loved Jonathan, in so much that Jonathan took off his royal robes and gave them to David. And he also said, let your armor be my armor and my armor your armor. Okay? That was very significant. Jonathan was giving up his right as king, knowing that David was in line for the king, for the kingship. So again, and we see this over and over, a distressing spirit came from the Lord upon Saul 
as he sat in the house with his spear in his hand, and David was playing music with his hand. Then Saul sought to pin David to the wall with a spear. Yeah, that's rage. And, and you know, later on, David tries to pin his own son for collaborating with David to the wall with a spear as well. Think about that. Don't gloss over that. Think about that. That's horrible. Huh? You know, what, what helped me with this story, um, in August, uh, my wife and I went to Lancaster uh, for a wedding, and we got there the day before, and we went to the Sound and Sight Theater, and David was playing. Knowing that I was going to speak on this in a couple months, and, and, and it's just the way that I am with certain movies or whatever, it's just like I put myself right there. And I'm right there during this whole play, musical, whatever, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, as the events took place in David's life, my heart just dropped when it came to this scene. It's like, how could you do that? How could you? How could you do that? How could you have that in your heart? Well, it's like James, going back to James, you know. You think about something, you let it fester or boil, hmm? and that thought turns into hatred. Hatred turns into sin. You act on it. It leads to death, death of your soul. You know, it's, <laughs> it's like Yoda says. Once you start down that path, <laughs> but he's not entirely correct because we can choose life in any moment we can come out of that just like the thief on the cross I know that you're the king when you come into your kingdom would you remember me and Jesus said to the thief on the cross or the criminal on the cross today you will be with me in paradise so we know at any point we can reach out the scripture says all who come to me, I will in no way cast aside. Good news. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. That's the key. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the good news. We don't have to live in that spirit of Saul and disobedience and hatred and, and rage and just continuing as we march through this. So moving forward... Each time we see Saul falling more and more into death and David pulling away. Saul goes as far as murdering priests because of his hatred. Eighty-five. Just sad, you know. Very sad. But as we see, as we march through First and Second Samuel in the story, as Saul continues to pursue David, David's on the run for over ten years. Each time David had the opportunity to take Saul's life, he didn't do it. Do you know why? 
each time he says, who am I to lift my hand against the Lord's anointed? The key in that, the Lord's anointed. Not so much as he's saying he's respecting Saul and the evil he's done. He's saying, I respect that the Lord has had his hand upon Saul. He's anointed and hasn't been taken away from him yet. I haven't been made king yet. Now you think about each time that David had the opportunity to kill Saul when he snuck up on him, he was on the run. And each time, David even showed proof a couple times. Once, he cut his robe whenever he was in the cave. We know that story, right? Saul went into the cave to relieve himself. David snuck in, cut the corner of his robe off, said, hey, I had the opportunity to take your life, but I didn't. Another time, Saul's pursuing David. They're sleeping. Saul goes, or David goes down with his commander, Joab. Joab wants to kill him. Let me run this spear right through him. I only have to do it once. David says, no. Takes a spear, jug of water, goes up on the hill. Hey, Saul! Is that you? He says, the scripture says, is that you, my son? I have to laugh at that. Yeah, it's me. Hey, uh, I just wanted to tell you that your commander wasn't on duty because I got your spear. What do we see here? The contrast, right? Each time... David recognized what God has put in place I am not going to take away by my own authority. Let God take Saul out. I don't know about you, but if I, you know, somebody was pursuing me, threw a spear at me, I would be very tempted to take their life. Wouldn't you? Twice? But he didn't. And each time, Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will harm you no more, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Indeed, I have played the fool and acted foolishly. He never really repented. You know, there's a difference between repenting and saying, I'm sorry. Right? And, and, and many times we might say, I'm sorry, but do it again. And again, and again. The lowest point, and I think Pastor Michael touched on this a little bit, the lowest point in Saul's life is whenever he understood all this time that the Lord had left him, but now he can't get an answer. Samuel's dead. He consults a medium. You familiar with that story? The Witch of Endor. Hey, I'm desperate. Bring up Samuel. I need a word. So, and this is a very peculiar story because it says that the witch <coughs> of Endor, whom shall, I, whom shall I bring up for you? Bring up Samuel for me. When the, when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out in a loud voice, Yeah. 
You have deceived me. You're Saul. Mm-hmm. What does he say? And this is interesting. Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed, for the Philistines make war against me. And God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by the prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. Then Samuel said, So why do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and become... And this, is, this has to be the most distressful phrase in, in this whole story. Seeing that the Lord has departed from you and become your enemy. That's heavy. And the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalekite. Therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. I think that's interesting as well. Right? With me. Where is Samuel? Hmm? Where is Samuel? He's dead. Where's Samuel? Paradise? And it says, immediately Saul fell full length on the ground and was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So as the story continues, they got into another battle, and it was just like Samuel had said, the scripture had said, Saul and, and both Saul and his, and his son Jonathan died. So it wasn't until then, and shortly afterwards, did David take the kingship. So as we march through and end in first, uh, first Samuel. The tragic end of Saul and his sons. So Saul and his three sons, his armor bearer, and all his men died together the same day. When the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those who were on the other side of the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and fled and the Philistines came and dwelt in them. So it happened the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Geboa. Very tragic story regarding jealousy and hatred. And if we search our own hearts, we're also capable of that. We are, and, and, you know, as believers, we just want to tell other people, look around, look what's going on, right? Look what's going on in this world. How, where does it end? It ends with the return of Jesus, amen? So that's what we have to look forward to. 
Jesus says in the book of Revelation, Twenty-one, five. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And in, Col- in Cor- Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new has come. That's our hope. Remember this, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And we see that going on today, don't we? And the frustration lies, why don't other people see this? Right? Doesn't it lie? It lies with me. I'm, I get frustrated. Why don't you see this? Look around. Look what's going on, right? We're not going to fix it ourselves it just gets worse right so we look up and say Lord Jesus come quickly let's close Father thank you for your words thank you for the many examples you have given us in your word that we might look at history and learn from it. Please, Lord, let us learn from it. Let us continually look toward you. Let us continually repent and cry out to you that you might cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As David cried out to you many times, we also cry out to you for forgiveness and strength, perseverance, and what's going on around us. Let us not look toward our circumstances, but help us to take our eyes off of our circumstances and look toward you because you say in this world you will have trouble. Don't fret. Don't be dismayed. Do not fear for I have overcome the world. We look forward to your coming, Lord, when you will make all things new. Amen. As the worship team is already here, as I had my eyes closed, thank you for your prayers. comes for us all Oh how nature acquaints us with the nature of patience like seed in snow I've been buried to grow for your promises loyal 
from sea to Sequoia, and I know, though the winter's long, you're richer, the promise to bring promise for me like a sea. I believe that my season will come. Lord, I think of your love like the low in the sun. And as I gaze, I am
up that last uh, side slide. This is from 2 Samuel 22. With the merciful, 